I'm Michelle. I'm Rob. And this is Two, Two Librarians, Librarians Walk Into, into a, a Shelf. shelf. Welcome to the 14th episode. We made it to November. We got past the first 13. <laughs> we got past October. Can you believe it? Uh, almost. No, I can't. That was insane. It was insane. There was a lot going on in October, but there's a lot going on in November too. There's no shave November. There's, of course, the American Thanksgiving holiday. Well, we don't want to forget National Novel Writing Month. Are you planning a novel? I actually am. It's been a while since I've actually written a uh, novel of any sort. I do have a first draft that I need to go back. And what better time than National Novel Writing Month to do that? Yeah. So how about you? I know that you always say that you want to write a novel. You have a novel inside you. Is it coming out this year? I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) I I might try, but I've tried a few years in the past and it just, I don't know. I do think I have a novel in there somewhere, but I don't think I have the craft to get it out. So we'll see. Well, if you're a reader, you can certainly be a writer. I, I believe that. Okay. So I'm going to give you advice, and this is advice for everybody else who wants to try this. Just do your best to get your thoughts on a piece of paper. Again, I'm working from a first draft, so it's incomplete. Characters come and go. I'll have to reassemble it, but it's all there for me to be able to do that. So just get your ideas on a piece of paper. Put them in order, beginning, middle, end. Don't worry about making it perfect because nothing's perfect, and see what you get. Don't worry about having to write some 100,000-word epic. Maybe the story you want to tell is only 10,000 words. Tell that story. Just get it out. Try it. Okay. We'll take a short novel. It could Actually, we can do National Short Writing Novel Month. <laughs> Shoot for a 10,000-word novel. And then next November, we'll try a 20,000-word. <laughs> we'll baby work, steps. Baby steps. We'll work our way up to the big novels. But no, I, I hope everybody that has an interest tries it out this year. Maybe this is a year that people are trying out some new stuff. I know we are. So, you know, if you feel like you have a novel in you, try to get it out on paper. Try to put it in the computer. Get it out of your brain. Share it with the world. Well, I know later this month we're going to talk about some holiday traditions. You got favorite recipes you always cook on Thanksgiving? Oh, yeah. Uh, We're going to hold our very first meeting of the Two Librarians Walk into a Shelf Book Club. Uh, We certainly are. I will let everybody know the first title of our book club. A Rogue by Any Other Name by Sarah McLean. How'd that book come around? Well, sometimes I'm a people pleaser. So when you said, let's do the book club, do you care what book I pick? I was like, no, I'm sure it'll be something like a Western or a science fiction like I usually read. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> no. So we're going to go into this with an open mind. And, uh, and and you picked it, and you have some information about it. Kind of tell our listeners yeah, what we're reading. The title of the book is A Rogue by Any Other Name by Sarah McLean. It's the first in her Rules of Scoundrels series. I have the description of the book from the back of the book right here. It says, What a scoundrel wants, a scoundrel gets. A decade ago, the Marquess of Bourne was cast from society with nothing but his title. Now a partner in London's most exclusive gaming hell, the cold, ruthless born will do whatever it takes to regain his inheritance, including marrying perfect, proper Lady Penelope Marbury. A broken engagement and years of disappointing courtships have left Penelope with little interest in a quiet, comfortable marriage and a longing for something more. How lucky that her new husband has access to an unexplored world of pleasures. Born may be a prince of London's illicit underworld, but he vows to keep Penelope untouched 
by its wickedness. A challenge indeed, as the lady discovers her own desires and her willingness to wager anything for them, even her heart. So, yes, that's the book we're reading. (laughs) And I will say at this point, of course, I've started reading it so I can be caught up when we when we talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's not that horrible so far. I wouldn't have picked something horrible. Well, I know, I know. But this was like, I never would have picked this book for myself. Like if you said, go through here and find a million books that you want to read <laughs> or would consider reading, this book would not have made that list. But I got to be honest, it's not it's not horrible. I've read a lot of worse books. It's actually quite entertaining, but I, we won't say anything until we talk about it. It's, so far, it's entertaining. Good. And uh, I don't hate it. So Good. I'm glad you don't hate it. So we want to invite everyone to join in our book club. Yes, please. You can check out the book from our collection in the branches, or you can find it on Hoopla with no wait. You can get it and read it before our third episode in November, and you can join us on the discussion. Let us know your own feelings about the book on social media later in the month. The title is A Rogue by Any Other Name by Sarah McLean. Find it on Hoopla. Find it in your branches. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to talk about it. I'm excited to talk about good books with anybody. Okay. So, well, we're going to do that. Well, that's clearly a romance novel. So to kick off November, we want to just invite everyone to just read or watch whatever they like, whatever brings them joy, and forget about what other people might say about your choices. Rob, I know that you and I both have very strong feelings about a particular phrase. Neither of us think the phrase guilty pleasure should be used to describe anything. Never, never, never. No such thing as guilty pleasure. Why should we feel guilty about liking something? Exactly. It makes no sense. So before we get into our discussion on the phrase guilty pleasure, I just want to give a disclaimer that when you check out a book or a movie or music CD or anything at your library, your librarians are delighted to help you find something you enjoy. Absolutely. There's no greater joy for me than when somebody comes to me and wants to find some crazy movie. We want you to find the thing that will bring you a moment of peace or happiness or calm or whatever it is you're looking for. We want you to find the right information, the right book, the right story. And we want you to enjoy what you're consuming. You know, do you read Westerns? Great. Do you want to read paranormal romance? Great. Do you want to read political thrillers? We have that too. You know, maybe you want to escape into a cowboy paranormal mystery. I bet we can find a book for you. I'm pretty sure there's a couple. I'm sure that there is. You don't have to tell a librarian or a library staff member that it's your guilty pleasure. We don't want you to feel guilty about liking it. We just want you to enjoy what you're consuming. Absolutely. There should be nothing about what you like that makes you guilty. Period. Right. Well, we're not going to leave it there. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. But yes, come to your library, go online, Hoopla, Overdrive, find what you like and read it. Yep. And I know that for a lot of people, we feel like we have to couch certain genres of books or media that we consume by calling it a guilty pleasure so that it's basically we're begging other people to still take us seriously, even though we like this thing that might be considered lowbrow. We don't need to do that anymore. It's also a defense mechanism. Yeah. Like you, you tell somebody you like a certain whatever and they give you that look and then you're you're quick to say, oh, well, it, it's a guilty pleasure, which is it doesn't sound like a defense, but that's exactly what you're doing. You're defending why you like it. You like it, but you know it's not good. <laughs> what? <laughs> or it is good. It's good for you. It is good. Because let's, okay, so there was this interview with Shonda Rhimes several years ago, and if you don't aren't familiar with who Shonda Rhimes is, she... Um, 
she created Grey's Anatomy and she created Scandal and uh, a few other extremely wildly popular TV series. And people always call her shows guilty pleasures. So part of this interview was the interviewer was asking her, how do you feel about your shows being called guilty pleasures? And she was like, I hate it because it's like saying that my stuff is crap, but you can't stop watching it anyway. She's like, clearly it's not crap. Everybody's watching it. You go to work the next day and everybody's talking about it. So why do people still feel the need to call this work that I do their guilty pleasure? And I just thought that was really interesting that as the creator of the thing that's called a guilty pleasure, she, of course, wants people to enjoy what she puts out there. And of course, she wants people to consume her media, but she took it as an insult that people called it a guilty pleasure. And that I think that happens a lot. I, In talking to a friend who made movies for drive-ins back in the 60s and 70s, his movies at some point started showing up on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Ted Michaels, Girl in Gold Boots, which is a fun movie. but And it's very funny. And if you know the show, uh, a dude and a couple robots make fun of movies that are supposedly bad. Between that and the, um, I think it was like a Golden Turkey Award in the in the <laughs> 70s or the 80s, they came up with this book. And then they, they created this whole So Bad It's Good. And some movies started taking on this reputation as being just horrible movies but you couldn't stop watching them like they're so bad they're so awful but they're still entertaining and it creates this junk movie mentality and ted was always bothered by that because he didn't want his movies to be thought of that because he never sat down and wrote a movie for it to be bad no one does ed wood never realized he was making really weird movies he was making those movies from his heart right so for some people i don't know if it's it's because you know, somebody, somebody's presenting something as being bad. Here's a movie so bad, but it's entertaining. If that's the way, you know, again, that's a guilty pleasure. Is that a way to consume stuff? Like, here's all these people watching this stuff and enjoying it, but they're calling it bad. It doesn't make any sense. And it, it bothered Ted, and it's bothered other filmmakers that I know, and writers. I mean... Some people just want to create entertainment. Some people are just happy to know that their movie fills your life with 80 minutes of entertainment. Or they write a book that you read over two or three days and you just are able to escape into the world of this book for a couple of days and, and be good with life. There's nothing wrong with that. No, there's no guilt in that. So technically, you know, a guilty pleasure is something that one enjoys despite believing that it's not generally held in high regard or it's seen as unusual or weird. You know, a guilty pleasure might be a form of communally recognized lowbrow entertainment like professional wrestling or horror movies or romance novels or consuming WB shows as a grown woman. Like I know a lot of women my age will, they thoroughly enjoy teenage dramas, whether they're paranormal or not. And they call them their guilty pleasure. I don't think they need to be guilty. It's an escape. And I think you're absolutely right. As a grown man, and we've talked about this, and I've written about it, I enjoy watching slasher movies. Yep. There is nothing that I enjoy more than sitting down with a good old Friday the 13th movie. I'm not going to feel bad about that. I'm not going to feel like I'm wasting my time. I'm not going to feel like I should be doing something else. Uh, If there's something else that needs to be done, I'll do it. But when I go for my entertainment... Especially at this point in my life. I'm at that age where I like what I like. I'm getting comfortable. And I'm thinking about that. Do you think that guilty pleasure for some people is turning around to comfort food entertainment? Is that a way of saying something's a guilty pleasure without, you know, like sometimes you just want to watch a WB drama, 
because it feels good. It's comfortable. You know the characters. Is that mentality kind of maybe helping to erase or change the attitude of a quote-unquote guilty pleasure? Maybe so. If we, you know, instead of calling it a guilty pleasure, calling it a comfort read or calling it a comfort rewatch of your favorite movie instead of your guilty pleasure Mean Girls marathon or whatever it is you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. There's a lot of opportunities for women especially to have to discount what they're saying in hopes that people will still take them seriously later. And I know that the guilty pleasure phenomenon is not only for women. Like this this whole thing of having to couch your favorite thing in a way that other people will still take you seriously is, you know, it's not just a woman problem, but there's just so many opportunities that women seem to have to have to defend their choices. And I think it was a defense mechanism that they, you know, like women can use like, oh, it's my guilty pleasure to sit back and watch Twilight in hopes that their coworkers still took them seriously. But you don't necessarily have to like... You don't expect a man to call his professional wrestling thing his guilty pleasure because he still expects people to take him seriously after he admits that he really enjoys that thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope all that made sense. I don't know that it did. It does make sense. And it's sad that anybody feels like they have to, to hide like that. And But you mentioned romance. This goes back. We talked about this before. The covers. This yeah. is why the covers were changed to the, the yep. gatefolds. So you had the one cover on the outside. If you got caught with it, you'd right. be safe. You, you don't have, it, it's not Fabio grabbing on a scantily clad woman on the cover. So it's, it's a, a safer way to enjoy your guilty pleasure without having to face judgment or shame for it. I just feel, you know, some of my favorite people on this planet are huge fans of the horror movie genre. And I don't think lesser of them because they like horror movies. And I don't want them to call those movies guilty pleasures. Like, I love pop music, and I love rom-coms, and I love musical theater and romance novels. I also love mystery thrillers and classic literature and reading poetry and going to museums. And I feel passionate about being a lifelong learner and the responsibility of being an educated and informed citizen. So do I need to feel guilty when I talk about all of those things or just some of those things? Why and why not? None of those things. Right. But... There's definitely been times in my life when I felt like if I wanted to admit that I liked Bridget Jones' Diary, then I had to say that it was a guilty pleasure movie so that people would still take my opinion seriously when I recommended a different movie to them. Interesting. You know, and also, what should I be watching that I wouldn't have to call a guilty pleasure? What should you be reading that you wouldn't have to call a guilty pleasure? Is it even something that you would enjoy spending your time on? No. So... You know, what am I even looking for in my entertainment? Don't feel guilty about what you're consuming. Well, we spend our life getting into our comfort zone. We spend our entire life finding where we're most comfortable, what we most like, people we want to be around. And with that, we learn the books that we want to read and the movies we want to watch and the CDs we want to listen to, whatever, or stream. I guess everybody streams. (laughs) In my world, I still watch uh, DVDs and whatnot. But, physical uh, media. Yes, physical media forever. You know, for the next couple of years at least. So if you spend your entire life trying to find that comfortable zone to live in, why would you waste a moment feeling guilty about anything that you put in your zone? It's ridiculous. I, I just watched a big, long, four-and-a-half-hour documentary on iconic 80s horror movies And at some point, one of the people participating in the interviews says that he doesn't understand the guilty pleasure 
especially if you're a horror fan. You like a lot of weird stuff. So what's the difference? Like, if you're already a fan of, like, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, why would you call Chud a guilty pleasure? <laughs> he says it's ridiculous, and I, I have to agree with him. There's no such thing. You like what you like. And I don't know if it's – I don't know. I just never subscribe to the, the guilty pleasure idea of feeling bad for something that I enjoy. I've definitely adopted that mentality. Because it was like, if you read Chicklet, it was your guilty pleasure. If you liked Matthew McConaughey, Kate, Kate Hudson movies, it was your guilty pleasure. Oh, I love those. They're great. But it was as if you shouldn't like them. Right. So you had to call, you had to label them as such. And also there was a time, like we're talking about, we'll talk about movies, but let's bring it back to books. There was a time when reading Charles Dickens or Nancy Drew would have been considered a guilty pleasure or lowbrow. And now if you look at, you know, what we say is a classic in 2020, Nancy Drew is as classic as it gets. And so is Charles Dickens. But at the time, they were considered popular, lowbrow, and, you know, would be considered a guilty pleasure. So that guilty pleasure, what's considered elite and guilty changes, both with who you ask and when you're asking the question. So we can just let it die. It's 2020. Like what you like. You have to enjoy what you enjoy just to get from day to day. Oh, yeah. So don't don't make an excuse. I mean. And if you label those things in pejorative ways, right? So we call it lowbrow, guilty pleasure, you know, labeling it with some kind of shame. You're going to prevent yourself from truly enjoying the thing. Absolutely. I don't want to live in a world where reading Mad Magazine is wrong or watching ninja movies is wrong. I know you don't. I really don't. <laughs> We just, it's it's uh, robbing ourselves of the joy those things can bring. Yeah. Do you think that some people find more joy in reading it and then saying it's a guilty pleasure? Like they're getting away with something? Like they they feel like they're doing something that they shouldn't be, but ha, 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 I'm reading it anyway, even though everybody, all my friends think I shouldn't. Ha, Maybe. Ha, ha. And that would be the only instance when I would agree that you can call it a guilty pleasure. If you're like, forget you guys, I do what I want. That's fine. But still, let's come up with a different term for it. Let's not call it a guilty pleasure. I like comfort. It's a comfort read. Yeah. Or a comfort watch. I like that too. That's a better description of what all this stuff truly is. Yeah. We got to do what we got to do to get through. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are humans and we contain multitudes and we can like Mad Magazine. We can like romance novels. We can like horror movies, but we can also be serious, respectable citizens. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we want everybody out there to take the oath. (laughs) To get rid of the phrase guilty pleasure, use comfort whatever instead. I, th- I think that would just make us all happier people. I think so, too. It takes the worry about, I'm worried about what this one thinks about me because I'm doing this. Yeah. Now, if you call it a comfort and somebody's got a problem with it, now it's a different kind of thing. Now it's like, well, what do you mean? I'm comfortable with this. You're the one that's got the problem, not me. Oh, it kind of spins turned it around. it around. Yeah, so let's call it comfort. This whatever. is my comfort read. Yeah. I am comforted by Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Don't make me roll up this Mad Magazine and swatch you with it, because it's going to hurt a lot more than a rolled up <laughs> Wall Street Journal on newsprint. <laughs> All right. Uh, what are you reading right now? I uh, Well, except for A Rogue by Any Other Name. <laughs> I've actually gotten into graphics a lot. We actually have a really great collection at the uh, HMCPL, but I have found on Hoopla this magazine I used to read when I was a kid, and I came in at the end of the life cycle of the magazine. It was called Creepy, 
and they have the creepy archives, and each volume has five issues. So I started with issue one to five with volume one. Creepy was a comic magazine first released in 1964 from publisher James Warren, who years earlier began publishing the much-beloved Famous Monsters of Filmland with Forrest Ackerman serving as his editor. It was the first monster movie magazine, and it came out at a time when the classic horror movies from Universal first started showing up on TV. And for a group of fans who labeled themselves monster kids, they grew up with Ackerman and Famous Monsters and were that first big wave of horror fans. But back to Creepy. Creepy came along in the mid-60s, years after the famous congressional hearing on juvenile delinquency that kind of cast comic books in an especially poor light, particularly the line of EC horror comics that included titles like Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror. The result of these hearings was the Comics Code, which was basically a, uh, it was set up to kind of regulate the content of comics. It was a censorship. So that pretty much wiped out any horror comics for like the next decade. Interesting. So when Creepy came out, it circumvented the Comics Code by publishing in a magazine format, much like Mad Magazine. So just like the EC Comics of years prior, the stories were introduced by a host, Uncle Creepy, who, like the Crypt Keeper, kind of introduced the stories with lame puns and <laughs> cheesy humor. The first volume collects the first five issues uh, that began in late 1964, and the anthology format just kind of went from story to story, and they were all kinds of different stories. More times than not, the stories really existed only to support a surprise ending, and the surprise ending you might get... You're reading a story about a werewolf, and in the last panel, it's revealed that it's not a werewolf, it's a vampire. <laughs> so it was that kind of thing. Also, there were stories by Edgar Allan Poe and Ambrose Bierce who were adapted to the comic book format. So kids were kind of introduced to that kind of stuff, too. Most uh, were horror, but every issue was good to kind of have a science fiction horror tale or, or what I refer to as a sci-fright, some kind of horror in space story. Uh, The artworks in these stories are nothing short of outstanding. Many of these feature cover art from the great Frank Frazetta, while inside artists like Jack Davis, Gray Morrow, Joe Orlando, Angelo Torres, and Al Williamson, among many others, supplied the gruesome artwork. And more times than not, editor Archie Goodwin supplied the stories. What I really came to enjoy about these was the letters page. Because it kind of reminded me of the way fandom was when I was a kid. And what I mean by that, you read these stories and the readers rate each story from the previous issue, usually starting from the the best to the worst. And every story is on somebody's best list, somebody's worst list. There's one letter. The kid literally says, I've read like four or five issues now and there's not been one story I like. But I'm going to keep reading because sooner or later you're going to put something in here that I like. And I miss that. I miss that hopefulness that fans would have for this kind of stuff, whereas now people just get offended and they stop reading and they threaten and they just act crazy. But back then there was a different kind of fandom. There was always that hope that you're going to get that great story. You're going to get some kind of great cover, whatever it is. And I really, really miss that. It's also nice to see the old Captain Company advertisements for Super 8 horror movie reels. 10 for a dollar terror tattoos, giant realistic plastic flies and serpents and all the other little treasures that made being a young horror fan so much fun. Captain Company started in Famous Monsters, and it was the mail order uh, branch of the business. 
Hoopla offers all 29 volumes of Creepy. It's five issues each volume, and it covers the entire 145-issue run of the magazine, which ended in 1983. If you get through all those, the Erie archives are also available. Mm-hmm. Erie was the sister publication to Creepy, uh, which utilized a lot of the same talent and ran from 66 to 83, and it was hosted by Cousin Erie. So check those out. If you remember them when you were a kid, if you were always curious about them, uh, they've come back before, but these original black and white stories are really a joy. Hoopla has some interesting stuff. Yeah, I never would have thought. When I, when right? I found it, I was shocked. Like, am I really seeing what I'm seeing? So I checked out that first volume, and it's the real thing, and they have the entire run. Will they still have it? For me to read all of them? I don't know. I'm a pretty slow reader, so (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to try. Okay. What about you? What are you reading? I'm reading The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. I can't put it down. Or I keep having to put it down, but I don't want to put it down. It was the October Librarian Book Club pick of the month that Annie, who's the branch manager at the Charlotte Drive branch, uh, she picks those every month, and she has great taste. But I have already was a fan of V.E. Schwab before this book. She writes characters that are human and flawed, but that you still love and root for. So my introduction to her was her Shades of London series. It starts with a darker shade of magic, and it was so good. It was full of adventure and relationships and good versus evil and pirates, and I just loved it. And then I was just really excited for Addie LaRue. And it's about this young woman in the early 1700s in France who feels completely smothered by the fact that she's been promised to an older man in marriage. And she begs into the universe one night for someone to help her. And she makes a Faustian bargain with the spirit that answers in the middle of the night. And in return for living a life that is her own, she is forgotten by everybody that she meets. Uh, The story spans three centuries and Addie's life along the way while she tries to leave a mark behind in whatever way she can by inspiring other people or whatever. And it's melancholy and it's beautiful and it's 100% worth reading. You can also find the audio on DMZ. So you can get the audio and the ebook on Overdrive or Libby. And you can just, you know, you can find the audio or a print copy in the branches as well. So I definitely recommend The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. All right. Was that one that you would have picked up if it hadn't been recommended? Absolutely. Yeah, because so. I was already a fan of uh, okay. it's Victoria Schwab. or She writes some of her stuff under V.E. Schwab. But yeah, the Shades of London series was really good. So when I saw she had a new one coming out, I, was, I, mean, I pre-ordered it. It arrived at my house. I got you. Yeah, it was one of those. <laughs> so not a surprise that I like it, but I definitely recommend it. What else you got? I've read a couple graphics. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, when we were out back in um, April, I had taken a graphic home that I wanted to read uh, from the collection, and that was Marvel Westerns. And it was a collection of Marvel Comics Westerns, uh, many from the 60s, uh, with titles like Strange Westerns, Two-Gun Kid, Western Legends, and Kid Colt and the Arizona Girl. And uh, the stories cover... All kinds of different weird Western, which is kind of a, a genre where it introduces ghosts or monsters. or That's kind of where some of the legends come from. Okay. Some of the characters were the Black Rider, the Apache Kid, Rawhide Kid, Philadelphia Philly. These are great names. <laughs> They're very Western names. Very Western. And they kind of they mix these Western stories, Western legends with the uh, kind of Marvel superheroes that they were known for primarily. And sometimes those two worlds kind of 
collided, especially with one character that was a very Captain American gunslinger of sorts who has a shield <laughs> and was known as the captain from Texas. And his, his cowboy getup was very similar to Captain America. So you could see where they were trying to introduce kids to different kind of stories with different kind of characters that were exactly the same sure. as the superheroes, but different. I enjoyed it. The uh, last comic in the collection, uh, Marvel Westerns Outlaw Files, features many of the characters in short stories or some short backstories, or you just learn about them with some wanted posters, which I thought was kind of cool. <laughs> so, you know, if you enjoy a good Western yarn, you might want to check out Marvel Westerns for uh, uh, more than a couple six-gun thrills. That, about that sounds like a graphic for Rob. Yes, it's a... Uh, they could have called it old man comics. I see. And then old men, people my age would know, oh, I bet this is Westerns. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about you? Anything else? Yeah, I'm reading a nonfiction. It's called You Are Not a Gadget by Jared Lanier. Uh, Lanier is the father of virtual reality technology, and he's a pioneer in digital media. And he's been talking about the way technology will and has changed culture as a whole for a while. And in this book, he discusses how decisions made about the nature of the Internet at its inception have caused a wealth of problems in the way we relate to each other on the Internet now. His main point is that these decisions were made when the Internet was super young and we don't have to continue that way. You know, No one knew what the Internet would be in its inception. So the way that websites and Web 2.0 functions were designed, they weren't designed with some beneficial end goal in mind, but only as a convenience. And then these functions now have placed a greater and greater trust in the algorithm and mob intelligence of anonymous internet users. And the book is warning against what this might mean going forward. And this book is a little old, but it feels extremely prescient. It was published in 2011. Wow. Yeah. And what he warned against seems to be where we are now. So it's worth checking out. Um, you can find You Are Not a Gadget uh, by Jared Lanier in our branches. Okay. So it's an older book, and it's easy to read, actually. It's short, and it's written in a conversational tone. There's not a whole lot of, like, internet jargon or computer programming jargon or anything like that. It's extremely easy to get through. Is it as easy as reading emojis? Mm, no, I think emojis would be easier. Yeah, it would just be a page with I, a smiley face or a frowny face. I just, I don't know if you would get the same points across if you were only using emojis. I really expected you to say this was a brand new book. No. I mean, it's almost 10 years old. Yeah. That's creepy. Yeah, it's, it, it'll be 10 years old in February. I don't even know if I even heard of the World Wide Web back in 2011. <laughs> yes, you had. <laughs> Does anyone still call it that? WWW. <laughs> The interwebs. All right. So the rest of this month, we'll be talking about some holiday topics. We're going to have an interview with the library's director, Cindy Hewitt. We're going to put her in the hot seat. I'm excited for that one. And we're going to have our very first uh, edition of Two Librarians Walking to a Shelf Book Club. I'm excited to talk about this. I'm excited to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, let's let's get some people reading that. Let's all talk about it. No guilt. No, no guilt. No guilt. And uh, we'll have some fun with that. And I think that we have a lot of good things going on for the other episodes. So yeah. it's going to be a full month. Uh, in the meantime, remember, don't, don't trust, trust robots. robots. Bye. See ya. 
The views expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the Huntsville-Madison County Library System. For more information on the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library, visit us online at hmcpl.org. If you'd like to learn more about some of the topics discussed today, visit your local library, which is us. No representation is made that your librarian is more knowledgeable than other librarians or that they have any expertise on your particular project. Ooh, Navy SEALs! <laughs>